thank you for joining today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. And thank you for having a desire to be your best at work and helping your organization achieve success. This podcast focuses on tactical actions to improve workplace culture. And these tactics align to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Over the past several weeks, I've focused on how educational leaders, faculty, and staff have transitioned to virtual learning and work. I've been scheduling calls with leaders to learn how they are making this transition. Many of us have been affected by K-12 schools becoming virtual, you know, whether we're teachers shifting to virtual learning or parents working with our children at home, most of us have a deeper appreciation of helping kids learn. And we all want our schools to be at their best in this transformational time. Our new normal across the country has for students and teachers to rapidly transition to virtual learning and instructional environments, posing an unforeseen challenge for some school organizations. A few episodes ago, I interviewed Corey Gala, superintendent who highlighted the incredible transition work in the school district of Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. The school district of Menominee Falls was able to move with tremendous speed to change what was a normal classroom instructional environment to virtual learning for teachers and students. And let's learn how they did this. So I wanted to know more, Casey. And so today I welcome Casey Blachowiak, the Director of Curriculum and Learning at the School District of Menominee Falls. So Casey, uh, welcome to our show. I'm so glad to, to have you on and to learn from you today. Thanks, Janet. It's just really humbling to be able to share the work um, of our team and um, to be able to help leaders um, outside of Wisconsin and around the country. So thanks for this. You bet. So let's start, Casey. You know, before we get into how you made the transition, let's just kind of look, have a look at the past and look at the types of learning practices you've previously hardwired in the School District of Menominee Falls that may have prepared your principals, leaders, and staff to make this transition. What are those? Yeah, so I think that's a great question, and it really all rests on us being a people-first organization, and Menominee Falls was really able to develop that through the partnership with Studer Education, and as I thought about really distilling down what those specific practices were, I think they're twofold. So first, it's really our organizational commitment to service excellence, and while that's not explicitly tied to learning, that's all about relationships and that is explicitly tied to learning. And, and really we knew as a district um, in this really uncertain time that learning would be an essential service for our families, for our students, for our team members in our district. And that was just such a hardwired piece of who we are as an organization. It's really hard for me to separate that from, from those learning pieces that we had in place. Um, so I think that service excellence is the first part of that. Um, the second piece that was hardwired for us, really explicitly tied to learning practices, was our adult learning frameworks. And, and those are the structures that really allow us to align our behaviors with our goals and our values. So those had been in place for us for a number of years. Uh, specifically in the areas of um, continuous classroom improvement. So really explicit expectations of what good looks like and how our team members get there. And we also already had them in place in terms of technology skills and integration into the classroom. So 
those provided a wonderful springboard for us as we quickly shifted to distance and virtual learning and built um, frameworks or what we're calling always actions right now to help support our teachers in this virtual environment. Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting, Casey, as I've connected with um, some of our partners, you know, in, in education and as well as some of our higher ed and, and municipal government partners, you know, one of the things, the first thing that they tend to say is the same thing you did, and that is that service excellence piece. You know, we really operationalize our values. People understood what the expectations are. I mean, they understand that just as they come to work each day and the ability for us to, to transfer that into the virtual world, you know, really didn't change. I mean, they had that infrastructure there and people understood how they come to work every day and what the expectations were and, and how they, you know, just kind of function and behave and work together. I think that's, that's been a great learning for us is that's been a thread that's gone through most organizations, you know, that we've worked with. Absolutely. I, I believe that was one of the most critical pieces that we had in place as we worked very quickly, really over two um, school days to, to shift to virtual, every single member of our team, from our district leadership team, to principals and buildings, to curriculum chairs, grade level and content teams, as I worked with them across the district and, and continue to do that virtually, everyone shows up asking, how can we make this work? What's the next step that we need to take? And I really think it's the basis of that service excellence to each other and our community. Nice, nice, Casey. So let's let's talk about the transition for a few minutes then. You know, what did you do when making us that seamless transition to virtual? Um, you know, what did you do and why is it working? Well, I, I appreciate your kind word of seamless. Um, we've, <laughs> we've executed it. Um, really to a, to a high level, but we know that it's not perfect. But here are a couple of the pieces that I think were really key to us doing it well across our system. First and foremost, we brought together those that are closest to the work. Um, and that's been just a tenant of who we are as a people first organization. We didn't make any decisions about what this could or should look like for our students in isolation. And so when it became apparent that we were going to have to shift um, our school district that serves just over 4,000 students uh, to a virtual environment. We brought together teacher leaders from across the district and asked what's possible and what would be manageable for us to do to sustain learning and uh, how can we support teams in providing that direction and giving them the support that they would need to make that transition. So I, I think that was the first really key piece um, to it being as seamless as it could be in this kind of a situation. The second piece is really as leaders, our use of our decision-making tools that allow us to execute at the highest levels possible. So one that has been really key to our work is what we call a situational appraisal. There's a multitude of decisions that have to be made that come at us every day. And, and sometimes we're adding decisions and, and the list just gets longer and longer. But those tools really allow us to communicate and collaborate across our divisions so that we're not doing extra work or more work, but we're working smarter, we're working together. And we also can prioritize what has to happen today, what is a priority level two or a three, so that those ones that have to happen are really clearly executed. We get the right people around the table and we get key communication out to our stakeholders. 
So can you give me, looking at the situational analysis that you did, you know, do you have an example, you know, of something that you all looked at, you know, just to give our listeners a little bit more specificity with that, Casey? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one piece that I think, you know, would likely resonate with any educational leader at this point is how are we going to handle end of year feedback, assessment, and grading? And those questions started to percolate pretty quickly uh, for us, even when we weren't sure of the duration of, of the closure. But really, we could have taken a, a couple of avenues there. There could have been a very quick decision that was made, but those tools allowed us to prioritize and say, this decision doesn't have to be made today. What would we need to do to execute this really well? And then attach action steps and members of our team to those action steps so that it, we could make sure we were uh, understanding what those in the region were doing, really thinking about the implications of changing grades and practices on students and, and their next steps with transcripts and, and connecting with our board and our community leaders for them to understand what our recommendation would be. So it allowed us to slow down rather than really quickly snap off and, and fire decisions off that maybe weren't in the best interest of, of those that we serve. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. And, you know, uh, sometimes my fear is that people will just, all, you know, possibly not even be thinking about the decisions that they need to make at this mm -hmm. point, you know, and then, and then once we get to that, the time of where that decision has to be made, it would be a pretty, um, a quick decision rather mm -hmm. than really getting people in and having conversation to work through that, you know, so I'm curious in terms of we're still, I know you all are highly focused on uh, improvement and continuous improvement, and we've connected with you over the years about the measures of success and the measures that matter. As, as you now look at your, at your students working with their, at their homes and working with teachers mm -hmm. and defining what those measures of success are in learning, you know, what are those measures now, Casey? Yeah, this was a really great question. Would two come to mind? First is uh, the feedback that we're receiving from our students, our families, and the team members across our district. Uh, we've been committed to, to feedback. The student surveys have helped us with that, and we've just have to, had to pivot those a little bit um, to be more frequent and more targeted to the environment that we're in now. So we've committed to doing those surveys every two weeks, and they give us valuable information on how are we partnering with families in an effective way to sustain learning, and do so in, in a manageable format for the duration of our physical school closure. It also helps us understand how our staff is doing during all of this. Um, those social, social and emotional questions um, across all levels have been really key for us to understand what we need to do as leaders to support and connect um, those doing the work and, and who are, are struggling potentially in this kind of environment. And those really give us additional information and pieces where we're making pivots. So we're making our best decisions with the information that we have, but we know that it's not perfect. And so we have these short cycles to be able to adjust um, and continue to refine our practices. And then the second measure of um, success for us right now is really student engagement. And so in conversations with teachers across all levels in our system, I've just been continually impressed with the level of depth that they have. You know, our high school teachers that see, a, you know, 100 and see 140 students a day 
um, could tell you down to the classroom level to, you know, our three, these are two or three kids that I'm concerned about. And these are all the steps that I've taken to really engage with them all the way down to our, our kindergarten classrooms, our youngest scholars, the teachers just having really great understanding of where students are at, how to support families and those next steps. Um, it, so success for us looks different, but it's really still based on relationships, people, support, and just sustaining all of that in, in really difficult times. Yeah, um, so it's really, I mean, it's probably more deeper, more connections and deeper connections, you know, in terms of what I hear, Casey, and, you know, just thinking, I know you all have really been very um, focused on continuously looking at classroom assessment information and data. Are you still able to do that? Or, or it, it, does that look a little different? Or are you still able to kind of follow that same pattern that you have been? Yeah, so that's an area where we're pivoting. Um, our, our classroom data was very closely tied to common unit assessments. And um, assessment of learning just looks very different right now. Um, and so to be able to focus on sustaining in, in an environment that's manageable, both for our classroom teachers, for our families, for our students um, who didn't necessarily choose to learn in this way, we're having to shift some of those pieces. Um, and we're not sure of all the answers yet, but um, towards some possible solutions. Yeah, that's good. I think that's going to be a, a, you know, a great learning for all of us, you know, in terms of what is that, what does that really look like in that virtual setting? And how do we ensure that students, you know, are learning in a way that we have the expectations and, um, you know, cap capturing the gaps, you know, where, where there are those. Um, I know that's a challenge, but just that, like you said, the continued connections and relationships that really gives you the foundation to do that. So as we uh, as we conclude today, you know, I, I I just like to just end with this: as you look at your data, and we've talked about kind of what you did in the past and what you're doing now with the transition. Let's do just one question with a little bit of the future look. Um, so as you look at your data, what would you continue to do, and what would you do differently? So I, I think continuing to just really stay focused on sustaining those relationships, um, that has been absolutely key for us. Um, I think reflecting back, um, there's always things that we could do different and improve. Um, I think if I could do anything different from my level, we're working really hard to forecast those decisions that are coming forward and what pivots we might need to be making. Um, I think if I was in this situation, again, I would create a, a document or some framework that we could really share with our team on an, uh, you know, a daily basis that they could access to really have an understanding of exactly when certain key decisions were being made, who was at the table. Um, we're working to make that as transparent as possible, but lacking some of the, the structural infrastructure to do that, it, that part had, I think we could have done better there. And that's something that I, I'm working towards improving as we're moving forward. Just first of all, just congratulations on just the thoughtfulness and the work that you've done in the past that's at the stage for you all to, to continue to build those relationships and focus on every student. And I think that's where, where you all are going to really win in the long run, Casey, is I, I, I believe that you all know where every student is. <laughs> you're focused on every student and your teachers are highly committed to that. And, I, and my fear right now and looking across districts in the country is, you know, there's 
there are probably a handful of those students in in pockets everywhere you know where where we really worry about right in terms of where are they and are they able to really manage and continue to learn uh, so just appreciate the dedication of you and and the leadership team and the teachers and staff at in Menominee Falls I know you've done excellent job there so you know I think for our listeners as I um, as I hear listen to Casey today I just want to go back to a couple of things number one I think what you heard from Casey is our ability to make personal and human connections to build those relationships becomes extremely important in this transitional time, uh, whether it's with students, whether it's with pa- families, you know, each other. But just uh, just as you go out this week, uh, if you if you can think of one or two things that you can do that really prioritize building those relationships, and gosh, we, you know, our podcasts have plenty of opportunities for getting some ideas on that. You know, I'd encourage you maybe to even find one that you could go back to and listen to one of those podcasts and say, here's one of the actions I'll do to really build relationships this week. I think the second thing is when we look at decision making, let's just stop this week and think about what types of decisions do we really need to make? How can we look at the situations and analyze those situations now so that we're prepared for the future? I think if we could go out this week and think about those two things and do those two things, we'll be, we'll be in a better place and really help students and families and the people that we work with each day. Before we go, I want to make sure you know about our weekly webinars with our expert coaches. And, and we do that every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, And we're really beginning to focus now on what's next after we've made the transition to virtual learning and work. We've made that shift into the transitional learning, but what's next? Because there's, it's not a, it's not at a place where we're at the end. We're probably at the beginning of many things to come. And that's what we want to focus on on the webinars. Uh, And you can learn more about those upcoming webinars at studereducation.com slash events. Thank you all for joining and tuning into Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. I look forward to connecting with you next week as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. Thank you, Casey. Have a great week.